This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How a Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Abby Golhar. Abby, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Henry. So Abi is a business owner and a real estate investor. His entrepreneurial career began back in 1999 as a teenager. Yes, he's a young guy, young and successful. Uh, back then, he began repairing and replacing computer hardware and software. Uh, then during college, he continued his entrepreneurial journey. Uh, but he was met by epic failures, as he will share with us today, uh, that then just made him stronger. And he didn't give up and kept at it and is now a successful entrepreneur. Uh, since then, he's learned a lot, built several successful businesses from the ground up, including one of his businesses, Real Estate Deal Talk. Uh, he's now also the managing or one of the managing partners, rather, at Summit and Crown. And Summit and Crown is a real estate investment and asset management firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And they manage both residential and multifamily projects in Atlanta, in Charlotte, and in St. Louis. So in this episode, Abby's going to share with us his entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he started to where he is now, and tips and advice for us for starting and growing a business. And of course, we will talk about real estate and real estate investment in particular. Like myself, I'm a small business owner, but I also do real estate investment on the side. So that's the focus of this episode. Abby lives in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And so once again, Abby Golhar, welcome to the show. Very, very good. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, good. I'm excited to have you on a Friday morning as we're recording this here. So um, let's start at the beginning, if we could. You grew up in, I can't pronounce this city in Michigan, Portage, or how do you pronounce that? Yeah, very, very, very close. Uh, Native American word, portage. Ah. It's, uh, when, when you portage a canoe from one river to the next, carry it uh, kind of upside down in your head. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's where I grew up. Of and it was... Interesting times back in the day. Yeah, so tell me about that. You're a son of immigrant parents, right? Yes, absolutely. Both my parents came here from India. Uh, my dad, I can't remember when my dad arrived in Ann Arbor, but he arrived with less than with less than about $100 in his pocket. A very, very interesting times for him. He had never seen color TV, TV before, and that's how his life started. You know, he came here from India. He got his PhD from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor in Iowa in industrial operations engineering, subsequently went to uh, teach and become a tenured professor at Western Michigan University. And then I was born in 84 in Kalamazoo, uh, grew up in Portage my entire life, had a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit until I started to discover that a lot more. So 
Yeah, I'm also the son of uh, of immigrant parents, and so obviously we that's where we get our work ethic, and we have, it was modeled for us from day one, right? Yes, absolutely. I think it it instills in you a very hard work ethic, and being the eldest son in an, in an Indian family, excellence was the standard, and more so academic excellence was the standard. And if I brought home any subpar grades it was it was definitely made aware of (laughs) so So i just want to jump ahead for a moment since we're on that topic often then the influences they want you to go to school and go into one of the traditional careers what did they think when you decided i'm gonna he's gonna do this real estate thing or become an entrepreneur what was their thought about that they did not like it at all you know here's here's a here's my eldest son who's graduated from a good university with a degree in electrical engineering and they didn't they generally didn't like it uh, at all I, they their their faces i remember i remember my father's face when i told him that i just turned down <laughs> about four or five job offers after graduating and he <laughs> he, he said what and you're going where and what are you doing? You have no money, no income, no job, and you're wh- what? Yeah. So it was, you know, I felt like I had disappointed him, and he's my hero. You know, I disappointed one of the most in, in, intelligent individuals that I know, a most hardworking individuals that I know, and even my mother, same person there. And you know, it was it was difficult to swallow that pill, but I knew that I wanted a little bit more control in my life and I decided to stick down this path and go from there. But it was a very, very gutsy call from my part, effectively throwing away my degree from Michigan to do what I wanted to do, which at the ripe age of 20, 21, clearly I had life figured out at this point yeah yeah. (laughs) so So do do you feel like they still worry about what are you going to do and maybe you'll straighten out and go back to doing something related to your degree that's funny now i have accepted that you're doing just fine i think i we're we're on very good terms you know it took a couple years after i graduated to prove to one to prove to myself that what i was doing made sense and i validated myself first and then a very big part of moving forward for me was getting that nod from mom and dad saying, hey, you know what, you've done well. And it took a little bit of time. We went back and forth. We had our moments. But you know what? There was a very distinct moment I remember where I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska, and my dad knew I was struggling. You know, he and I had it out back and forth a bunch of times, and I was in a very, very bad place uh, financially and emotionally, and I had just failed in Detroit, and we'll get to that in a second, I'm sure. And I remember he he sent me a check in the mail for $5,000, and to me, $5 was a lot of money. I, right. I remember going to uh, going to Little Caesars and picking up a hot now pizza for $5, right. and, and it was a very tough time. He sent me a check for $5,000 and said, Avi, if you decide to deposit this check you're going to come home and do what we tell you to do. If you don't deposit this check, then you can continue to do what you're doing. And I still have that check today. Wow. Interesting. So obviously, as you alluded to, you went to University of Michigan, got a a bachelor's in science and engineering and electrical engineering. So at that time, were you living somebody else's idea of your future? What were you thinking even then that you wanted to do? That's a good question. So 
even throughout high school, I knew I was really good with hardware, software, electronics, working with my hands, and picking the you know, picking the engineering and the and those sciences was my decision. I I felt like I could do really well and I could excel in at Michigan in these in these degrees. And quite frankly, I was humbled my first semester when I was there. And during my tenure at Michigan, during my academic courses, I really came out of my shell and understood that I'm more of a people person. I love connecting with people, helping folks, whether it's in a business or a, or some type of problem, help to turn that around in some way. And I also figured out that real estate was going to be a really big part of that. So when I was in high school, I started this little company called Max Technologies with a neighborhood friend of mine. And all we did was back in the day, you know, you had those big computer towers. They were like two and a half feet high. You could unscrew the back and replace parts. So we were charging a good $20, $25 an hour. And we had a nice little business going uh, when I was growing up. And I thought to myself, well, wow, I what if I could carry this forward and be the CEO of a company one day. That was my big thing. I remember watching this 2020 episode and this 25-year-old kid was driving around in this Lexus RX 300 and he went from flea market, flea market to flea market buying things and then selling them on eBay and he had built a really good business. I thought to myself, wow, I could do the same thing. And after I went to Michigan, I had my course load. I thought to myself, there's absolutely no way that I could work for somebody else and do this in day in and day out, day in and day out. There's no way. And I had to explore that part of me that was still a little shy and timid about entrepreneurship. And the more that I dove into that, the more confident that I became in both my entrepreneurial ventures and in taking a leap of faith on myself to go to inner city, to Detroit, inner city Detroit and invest in real estate. So that was a very interesting experience yeah, for me. No doubt. That definitely took some courage and we'll touch on that in a moment. But I still, it's what's very interesting and this is very common that even, despite the fact that your parents had modeled this incredible success immigrating to this country, getting an education, getting good jobs, being quote unquote successful by any measure, and yet for you, you wanted something more. Where, where do you think that came from? Is it what you, this just innately your personality or did you observe something growing up that told you I want and I can get more? That's a really good question. I think, so for me, when I was growing up, my dad used to push me all the time with everything. Not only was it academic excellence, that was the standard but it was excellence in every other area of life, whether it was spirituality, whether it was connecting with friends and having fun with friends, just be an awesome person. And I remember when I first started playing soccer, this goes all the way back. I mean, I think we're talking when I was five or six, I started playing soccer. And I knew my, my idol was Pele. My idol was, were these great soccer players that just knew how to carry the ball with their feet. And it wasn't, they weren't playing a game. They were, ex they were expressing art. And soccer was their art form. And I remember going to my dad and I said, you know, dad, I want to really be a good soccer player. And he said, okay, let's see what you got. So every day after I got off the bus from school, I didn't do my homework. I went straight for my soccer ball. My dad said, you're going to go dribble this ball down the street you're going to do two miles, 
and we're going to pass and we're going to do throw-ins and we're going to practice every single day. Because when I first started playing soccer, I was terrible. And I got better. And with practice, just brute force practice, I got better and better and better and better and better. And then I knew that it would eventually give me a foundation to be a really good soccer player. And, you know, we, my team won trophies and it was a, it was a lot of fun um, playing back in the day, but it instilled in me that if we create a foundation of success, whether even if it's getting up in the morning, making the bed, meditating, writing in the journal, working out, it lays the foundation for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of the quarter. And that's where it started for me. So that's where I feel, I feel like I get a lot of that innate drive to push forward, to do things beyond what I think is possible and expand that circle of possibility. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And your parents, obviously, whether they realize it or not, and I suspect they probably do, they, they created who you are and this desire and drive to always do the best that you possibly can at whatever you do. And it seems like very early on, you must have felt or realized that working for somebody else was going to limit that in you. That's right. And it was a very interesting feeling when many of my, even high school friends, and then subsequently college friends, we talked about entrepreneurship. We taught, we even had a club <laughs> at Michigan uh, that pretty much expressed entrepreneurship to be the standard. And the members of that club decided to go work for somebody else. And again, that's to, to each his or her own. And, and for me, that just wasn't, that just wasn't enough. And so when I saw this happen, I'm like, wait a minute, other people think about entrepreneurship very differently than I think about entrepreneurship. When I think entrepreneurship, I don't think about taking a class at a university and getting a degree in entrepreneurship. I think I'm jumping out there. I'm starting a business. I'm putting on all the different hats. I'm creating a product or service that's going to be of value to another business or whether it's B2B or B2C and creating enough value to where somebody's willing to pay me for the product service and for my time. And it's, I, there were a lot of realizations there. And once I hung on to that and I really meditated on that, I just knew right away that it's something that I needed to grasp and take the bull by the horn. Yeah, yeah that's great. All right, so I think either while you were still in college or right after is when you started diving into real estate in Detroit. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So when I was in college, part of my entrepreneurial experience and exposure was investing in real estate in inner city Detroit. I found a mentor who ended up being a bad mentor to me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I had, I had no idea. Yeah, I was, I was what? I think I was 19 at the time. I was wholesaling cars, so I used to find these classic cars on Craigslist, put them up on eBay on a marketing agreement. And I used to ship cars all over the world. It was kind of funny. Everything from the classics. So you can ask me anything about a 67 Mustang, a C-code engine. I'll tell you anything that you want to know about it. So that's how I created a little bit of a, a little bit of a fund for myself, just some money to buy some homes. And on the advice of a few mentors and this one individual specifically, I purchased one renovation property in the Boston Edison district in Chicago, in, in uh, uh, Boston, I think it's the historic something district in, in uh, Detroit. And then 
another, another buy it's hold a, a rental. Pretty uh, rundown part of town. I'm suspecting. I don't not familiar. With pretty, yeah. pretty much, pretty much, very rundown. And I remember I was renovating these properties, one to flip and one to rent. And I get a call from my contractor after classes, and he said, "Abi, you need to get to you need to get down to your property. I left a shop vac for you, and you need to just go." And I said, all right, well, you know, holy crap, I still have a study class, a study group after hours I need to get to, but all right, that takes priority. So my parents at the time also didn't know that I had this 1992 Honda Civic DX. It was just crap car, bald tires. It was moldy inside. The heat didn't work. <laughs> and that evening it started to, it started to snow a little bit, just flurries in, in Ann Arbor. By the time I get in my car, get all the way to Detroit, it's a full-on blizzard. I pull into the driveway, I open the door, I see the shop vac. I'm like, okay, I know what the shop vac is. And, you know, once you, once you get to meet me, I'm, I'm about five foot five and 120 pounds. Like, I know what a shop vac is, I know what a sledgehammer is, but I'm not going to pick one up. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, weights, I don't do that kind of thing. So I hear running water, and I hear running water in the basement. So I go downstairs, and I am neck deep in water at this point. I cannot move. It is unbelievable how much water is in the basement of this house. And it's about 10 o'clock in the evening when, when I discover all of this, and it's a blizzard outside, and the only thing that I can do is feel alone, feel scared, and drive up and, and drum up some courage to go knocking on doors to ask for help. Inner city Detroit. That night, I was held at gunpoint once, told to leave, and finally, after I think maybe knocking on 15 or 16 doors, there is a neighbor that says, all right, Avi, I'm going to have mercy on your soul, going to come over and help you. We toil away until about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and being the, being the brilliant engineer that I am, I didn't, I didn't check where the leak was coming from to begin with. So that's why the water level wasn't decreasing. And I said, screw it. Uh, I have classes in the morning and I went to sleep that night. No mattress, no bed, no comforter, no heat in the house on the second floor. And I just, I felt so alone, so vulnerable in that, in that state of mind. I was scared. I had nobody to turn to. My mentor had left me. My friends would clearly not understand. My brother would be like, what the heck are you doing? Mom and dad would just scream down my throat. They would have a total fit. They would be like, you're coming home. You are not staying in college anymore. So that was my, that was where I was. But in that moment, I also realized that one, this was probably the lowest point of my investing career. And two, the only way that I could go from here was up. It's interesting reaction because I think for a lot of people that would have broken them, that would have been the, okay, I've dabbled in this, enough with this, let me go back to studying and getting a good career and making money that way. But it was strong enough in you that that's not what it did. It just reinforced that you were at rock bottom and it was be up from here, which is interesting. And what's, diamonds are formed when you have a lot of pressure. When you, that's the only way. And I feel like whether you're running a business or looking for that product and testing the product, you have to put an immense amount of pressure on yourself to make sure that it is a adequate, more than adequate product or service that you can sell to your customer 
and or the business and you are doing an incredible job with that. And that's how I felt. I, I felt like the universe was just telling me, keep going. Don't let this, don't let this hold you back. Just keep going, keep pushing and you'll come out ahead. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And you know, it was, it was tough. I, I had, I had an exam the next morning. <laughs> I just, I didn't know what to do. It was a very, it was a very weird time for me, but you keep putting pressure on yourself and eventually it clicks. Yeah. So I'm sure you've looked back at that many times thinking, all right, nothing is too much worse than what I went through that day or that night. That's right. Okay, so we'll fast forward a little bit. You get out of college, and then what did you do right after college? Did you continue on the real estate, or tell us what you did in that era? I did. So I, it took me a little bit of time to, to get back up and to dust myself off from, from, the, from the Detroit debacle. And I moved to a couple of cities. I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. I had a mentor there, a great guy. I, I don't know how he's able to do what he's able to do, but he, he owns about 100, 125 units. At that time, I didn't, know, I didn't know anything anymore about rentals or whatever I thought I knew about real estate was pretty much thrown in the trash because I had no guidance. And so when I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, I met up with him and said, how are you doing this? How do you own all of these rental properties? And there we go starting from scratch, laying that foundation, reinforcing the good of what I had learned, reinforcing the good of what I had learned, and then kind of knocking out what was just toxic and bad for the investing mindset that I had. So Lincoln, Nebraska, I was there for about three, four months, moved to St. Louis after. Now, one of my other mentors was a developer, and his buddy kind of took me in and taught me the ropes of developing and buying and selling and doing some renovation on real estate ultimately landed in Atlanta Labor Day 2007, been here ever since. And uh, this was during the height of the crash, surprisingly right. enough. Right. Uh, right. It was a very unique time. In fact, around that time, 2008, if I've got it right, is when you started as managing partner at Summit and Crown. So that was right in the height of it. So what, how, tell us about that, starting another venture. Right That's in right. The middle of the crash. I didn't know how to feel. I, I saw a lot of activity every morning on the news. There was some other type of disaster, financial meltdown, you know, these headlines. And I was thinking to myself, what am I doing starting a real estate investment company in 2008? I think this is like March or April. I was at my buddy's place and, and I was thinking, well, it can't be as bad as Detroit. Like that was Detroit was pretty bad. So I'm, I, I started Summit and Crown 2008, and all I did was initially what I did in Ann Arbor, wholesale deals. I found deals on the contract. I put them under contract, found motivated sellers, and sold these deals to any investor that was willing to buy them. I did the same thing with mortgage notes. Um, you can pretty much cut up uh, mortgage notes into different pieces if you want. There's a whole business behind that. But essentially, you can do the exact same thing with real property as you can with paper. If you have a if you have an individual that's paying a second position, a second lien uh, position or a first lien note, 
on a very regular basis and they're good payers. Obviously, you can get more for that note than you can a distress note. And so I found ways to buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell and be a, quote, broker, end quote, in between. So I did that for a couple of years. When the market started to turn around, we were able to raise some good funding, do some small renovations in areas that were up and coming, Kirkwood, Grant Park, Inman Park in Atlanta, really nice neighborhoods. And the biggest benefit I feel that I got was understanding how to interact with people. And even on the radio or even on the podcast, or even on the Q&As that I do today, one of the basic foundational building blocks of any business is understanding the customer and shaking hands with as many vendors and influential business men and women that you can. And that's what I started doing in 2008, and I continue to do that even today. Yeah, so that, that whole power of networking. So you're saying that's something that wasn't as obvious to you earlier on in life. That's correct. I had no idea what I was doing at that point in time in college. I was I thought I was the king of the world investing in real estate. And then I was I, I feel like at some point in time I was pretty arrogant back then too. I I don't know. I was I was greedy, I was selfish, I was arrogant, I just didn't have myself figured out. And once I got into a space of wait a minute, let's put the brakes on this and really make this about somebody else than me instead of only about me then I started to have the breakthroughs that I've always wanted. And I got a lot more joy. I mean, it's, for me now, I love serving others. You know, I, I love asking the question, how can I help? Because it's, not a, it's never about me. It's more about you, Henry. Yeah, so it's a great takeaway. And I think that um, when we're young, like you said, we're, we're just naturally arrogant, and it's part of what helps us leave the nest, if you will. But it's one of the things I advise to young people because I did not, I did a terrible job at it when I was younger and the power of networking because what you find in life is that so much of it is about those connections that you develop and uh, people that'll bring you into an opportunity, let's say, just from a, from a pure business perspective, just based on your networking, who you know, the trust that you develop with people, all of those things are probably the most critical thing in business success in my experience. That's absolutely, I, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree more. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears. Maybe you're not entirely sure about what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of entrepreneurship. I will take you step-by-step step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. 
I would like to chat about your perspective on partners because Summit and Crown, it's you and others, or at least one other. Tell us a little bit about that. But I'm curious as to your experience and your perspective on working in partnership in business. So Henry, that's a really great question about partnership. I think everybody needs a co-pilot, especially when you're first starting out. It's tough to wear a bunch of hats. You know, you're, you have to be the finance person. You've got to be payroll. It depends on the business you're in. Maybe you're raising capital. You have an operational individual that's helping. You have so much going on. Service development, product development, answering emails, setting up MailChimp drip campaigns for a bunch of different customers. I mean, it, you can, like, I'm going gray on my head just thinking about all of this. Right. So when we're picking partners, though, there are obviously pros and cons to, to this. One, a, a fantastic pro of having a good partner is being able to distribute that work and then being able to offer a good outside perspective on doing things. Because you know this as much as, uh, as much as I do, Henry. You can be working in the business, but there's also something to be said about working on the business. And even today for Summon and Crown, I like to be the creative visionary. I like to look at the markets from the outside and understand, hey, this is what's going on. Here are the adjustments that we need to make. I wouldn't be able to do that if I was at the city pulling permits all day and being on site and meeting with contractors. I'd be so in the business that I wouldn't be able to know. what's. I, I just wouldn't be paying attention to what's happening under my nose in the market. So... Picking the right person is also very crucial. Pick somebody that has a lot more experience. Uh, my business partner, Walt Higgins, is a clear 10 years my senior. Uh, actually, about he was born in 74, I was born in 84. So he has exactly 10 years more experience in real estate and business than I do. And I value that tremendously because I might be looking at things and then he'll tell me, Abi, I've seen this happen before in a different market cycle, you, let's consider this instead. And the right. power of that the is- The key is that you, you trust him enough to take that advice, you respect and trust him enough that you'll listen to that advice, right? Absolutely, and you know, how do we, how do we know somebody is good in making decisions? How do we know somebody will be there at two o'clock in the morning when the world is falling apart? Well, we gotta date him. And, that's just just like you would in any relationship. If I'm interested in, in finding the girl of my dreams, which I have now, I, I just spend the time to date the person to understand what they value. Do they value similar things? Are we on the same path? Do we have the same future vision for ourselves and for the company we're about to build? And in this case, the family that we're going to build. And we have to ask these things. If we don't ask these things initially, then it's a problem later. And then we're always going to have two different viewpoints and we might battle it out. And that's never a good position to be in. The best position to be in is one that is informed. And the only way that we get there is if we ask the right questions in the beginning. And I've, I've had failures with this too. I had business partners that didn't work out, but we keep doing our best and we keep putting our best foot forward, not letting any of the baggage of what's happened in the past continue or carry forward into a new relationship. The best thing that we can do is ask the right questions that we feel are necessary. Yeah. Great takeaways. This, this 
topic of partnership is important to me and for my listeners. They know we've talked about this in previous episodes quite a bit. I'm, I'm the type of person who enjoys and works better in partnership with someone who I trust. There are people who are lone wolves and you have to be honest with yourself as to what type you are. But when you do talk about partnership, it's everything that you've talked about. It's that trust. It's that relationship you built over time. And most critically, the biggest mistake I see small business owners make is they don't do what you just talked about. You were in that honeymoon phase of everything's going to be great. We've got this great idea together, but we don't talk about the hard things. Well, what if I get sick or what if I get divorced or what if I want out or what if we have a disagreement? You have to talk about those things up front. And then those things need to be boiled down into an operating or partnership agreement so that there's no confusion later. And it's hard to have those conversations up front. I, we just started a new business with my partner who I've been in business in for years. And in discussing the assumptions, it's interesting how it's, oh, I thought I, thought I was going to do that or you were going to do this. So you must have those discussions up front and make sure as much as possible that you talk about all those things early in the process, not later. I completely agree. It still surprises me how many folks, how many business owners do not have an operating agreement yeah, for their business. I, I, what are you doing? You know, and you bring up a very valid point. You have to talk about even the breakup of the business right. before you sign the dotted line and engage somebody in a business partnership, whichever entity structure that is. It could be an LLC, it could be a S Corp, C Corp, whatever. And what if one of the partners passes away, then what? You know, Walt and I have gotten to a point where, you know, hey, we need key man insurance. Right. You know, if God forbid, whatever happens, if I'm run over by a truck tomorrow, what happens to the business? What happens to the livelihood of my significant other, what happens to Walt, his family, you know, how, how, how are things kind of readjusted? And if we don't talk about that now, when it happens, you're starting over with somebody else and that's never a fun thing. Yeah. And it, it kills a lot of businesses, right? So, all right. That's so, right. uh, what led you to starting real estate deal talk? Tell us about that, what that is and, and what it's all about. Great question. So a real estate deal talk is really my way of offering my perspective on what's going on in the real estate world and even a little bit of the entrepreneurial world to other investors, entrepreneurs, and businessmen and women. For me, I've seen a huge gap in that education where you can go take a course. You can pay $20,000 for a year-long course or a weekend course if you're in, in the real estate world. I'm sure you've seen those late-night gurus kind of pitching these types of products and services to you. And you don't get a whole lot of benefit from it. It just ends up being a lot of chaos. You're not going to take any action from that. And ultimately, some of these folks aren't even investing in real estate or owning businesses themselves, which to me is funny. Now, why would you take advice from these types of people then? Mm -hmm. So... Real estate deal talk is my way of saying, listen, I'm in the real estate investing world. I'm investing in single family. I'm investing in multifamily. This is what I'm doing right. This is what I'm doing wrong. Here are the lessons that I'm learning. And let's work together and let's learn from each other. So it is my first hand account of my growth in the real estate world answering the questions that other people also have of me, my partners, 
and any other industry experts that I find that are willing to answer questions. That's fantastic. So where would our listeners find this show? You can find it on realestatedealtalk.com. Uh, currently, I'm on the radio daily. It's a localized to a Atlanta-only station. It's a Biz 1190. It's 1190 AM. Haven't made it to the big boy FM stations yet, though, <laughs> so I'm still still on AM. It's right. the Wall Street Radio Network. It's an awesome station to be a part of, right. and I'm recording a couple of podcasts, so they should be released probably sometime uh, in the next month or two, and you'd be able to find those on iTunes and SoundCloud and other other areas as well, but the best source to get all of it would be realestatedealtalk.com. Okay, and to our listeners, by the time this episode airs, it might well be on iTunes, so just check the show notes page for this episode, and we'll have links to wherever it is available for you to find, so be sure to check the show notes page. All right, I wanna go back to, you've touched on it already, but a quote uh, from your website that said, uh, my father is the smartest person I know, and my mother the most joyous, end quote. So. We've talked about your dad and how intelligent he is and successful he's been, but that joy that you got seemingly strongly from your mom seems to be a big part of who you are. That's right. And every time when I was growing up, I mean, if you if you if you know one person that's always looking on the positive side of things and that's willing to laugh at anything, whether it's a good thing or something that just happened that isn't a good thing, that's my mom. She's she has this eternal flame of just laughter. I guess that's the that's the best way that I can put it. Yeah, and uh, I think that can manifest and, itself in resiliency, which I'm sure that night when you were sleeping in that cold house, you were channeling a lot of that. Yes, and as even as afraid as I was then, I was still. You have to laugh at yourself. You, know, you have to because everything is your fault. Every, everything in that instance, who could I blame? Nobody. I could only blame myself for being the arrogant idiot that I was because I didn't know any better. And I laughed. That's the part of the story that I don't tell a lot of people. <laughs> as, as, as much as, as scared as I was in that corner trying to fall asleep at 3 o'clock in the morning when it was freezing, I was laughing. And a part of that, thanks, Mom. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's quite a useful defense mechanism that she imparted on you, right? An That's outsider right. might say, this guy might be clinically insane, but this, this is what got you through it in part. That's right. And thanks to Mom. And even, yeah, even when I was growing up, it was if I didn't get the grade that I wanted, right, you know what? Try, try again. Give it another shot. And laugh at yourself because – you're the one that put, put yourself in that situation. Yeah. So you can only get better. Yeah, it's that encouragement, that voice that's always in you. But that also leads to this joy. You are living in a lot of joy because you've been able to design a life for yourself. And it's getting better and better, obviously, as you grow your business. But that's what I want to segue into this concept of lifestyle design that I know you are very interested in and focused on. Tell me what that means to you, lifestyle design. What that means to me is designing a business, creating a business that can run by itself. Obviously, you have to have some oversight. I'm not saying that every business is going to be fully automated. Quite frankly, I would challenge the opposite. I think if we completely take our eye off of the ball, 
in any business, then we're missing the boat. We won't be able to make the decisions necessary to adjust to different market trends, et cetera. So I, I don't believe that there's a business out there that is completely 110% automated like that, unless it's, unless it's like a royalty that you're being paid from some massive corporation that will always be there. Something like that will be there until perpetuity. But if it's the business that we're creating, then we have to pay attention to it. What I am a proponent of is putting, believing in people, training the people, and putting the right people in place so that a business can be sustained over time with oversight, but outsourcing some of these things to the right individual so that the business can grow, it can scale, and it can you can be the visionary that you want to be and ultimately have the impact not only in the business and for the business itself, but also impact on the world. And that's what I'm building now is a real estate business that is self-sufficient, a real estate business that requires my insight because I want to know what's going on in my business and opportunities where I can give back to others that are just starting out so they have a voice to lean on and they have comfort knowing that, hey, I'm here and they're on a path of greatness themselves. Yeah, well said. I love that. Great takeaways there. I think that one of the tests I use is if I were to go away for a month, does the business come to a screeching halt? In other words, is the business still dependent on my day-to-day -day interaction and activity, then, then I probably have an issue. But to your point, we we're always guiding and leading the business. And that's also where partners come into play, right? If we've got a partner that we trust and, and uh, we're on the same page when, with, and that gives us a lot more flexibility. Uh, so what, what is it that you get today the most out of the flexibility that being an entrepreneur provides us? What, what do you enjoy most about that? Is it freedom of time? Is it freedom of location? Some combination thereof? What do you get the most out of it today? Besides giving back, besides doing what you're passionate about? In other words, outside of the business, what does it give you? I would, you said time. You know, there, there, there are folks that say time is money. I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly disagree. Because I think that is such a massive insult to time, it's unbelievable. Time is so, so crucial. Like, I, you know, I'm, you're, we are, we're on this podcast together. And you have no idea how much I value your time and having this conversation with me. Because it's a commodity that is, that can't be traded. It's a commodity that we will never get back. And having the time allows me to create moments in life that I will remember and never forget. And I think the more of these amazing moments that I can have, the better and just the more fun, not even better. Uh, I think the more fun that I can have. And if I'm having fun and I'm waking up every day and I'm jumping out of bed knowing that I'm creating a life of having fun and I can have the time that I want to do what I want with whom I want, 
then I've won. Yeah, I love that. And you're finding the joy and the fun and even the smallest, quote unquote, of things in your day. That's right. You got it. All right. So I want to one more tactical thing I want to talk about, because I know you've got some good thoughts on in this because it applies to real estate in particular. But I think it applies to all types of business ventures, especially when we're analyzing a new thing, a new opportunity, a new investment opportunity. And that is the potential for paralysis by analysis. And I'm subject to that. I tend to overanalyze things. And then at some point I come to wake myself and realize that no matter how much analysis I do, at some point you have to take a leap of faith and trust in your instincts and in your experience and in the research. And yes, you have to do analysis, but at some point you have to stop and make a move. Tell us about your philosophies on that. Great question. I think numbers will only get you so far. I think there is power in numbers but there's also power in people and power in execution. And you have to trust that. So when I'm uncomfortable, I, even, even myself, I mean, I find myself on a multifamily deal that where an acquisition could be in the millions. I feel very uncomfortable with that, but I know what will help me overcome that feeling of un uncomfortability not only is the analysis of numbers important, don't get me wrong, I, I completely agree. If you, if you don't know what the value of a property is going to be, the NOI, the cap rates, the cash on cash, the debt service coverage ratios, all these numbers that you need to make an informed investment decision, then you're just doing, your dis you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your investors a disservice, and you might as well try again in 2018. But I think having analyzed the numbers, what can get you over the hump of uncomfortability and the lack of execution is your team. You have to believe in your, if you're not, if you don't believe in yourself, believe that the team will help you believe in yourself. And that team must consist of folks that are significantly more experienced and significantly smarter than you are. And that team can be a virtual team, right? It's not necessarily your partner. It could be others in your network of people that, that meet that qualification. Would you agree? I completely agree with that. Yeah, that's, that's a great perspective to add to it. I, I think that for me, one of the things that is key to being an entrepreneur is that you have to embrace that decision-making. That's why we're entrepreneurs, because despite all of the analysis and all of the research that you must do, as you just articulated very clearly, at the end of the day, we have to make a decision and we have to have confidence in our decision. And like you said, that other component is we bring in that input from the people that we trust and that ideally have more experience. But it's still, at the end of the day, we have to make that decision and it could very well fail and we have to have enough confidence that we'll make more right decisions than we will wrong. Completely. You said that really eloquently. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I couldn't, it's almost I can't like I've practiced it. <laughs> That's wonderfully said, wonderfully said. All right, another quote I think from your website that uh, intrigued me is, uh, quote, the future is unknown and sometimes we are offered glimpses of what it can be. Should we choose to leap and trust our instinct, we have the opportunity to achieve perfection. This is my perfection, end quote. I love that and obviously it plays of, right, coincidentally right off what we were just talking about, but. Tell me what you mean by this is my perfection. So that's uh, when I was when I was writing that. 
as as you'll notice, the the picture um, the picture there is uh, is a picture with my wife. And for me, the one of the biggest pillars in my life is her. Uh, if I don't believe that I can get up in the morning and do what I need to do without her okay. And it is such a, it's, it's, it's such a powerful force that if I know that I can go out into the world and anything is achievable, absolutely anything. And it takes a certain type of person to really understand that. You know, for me, it was, it was challenging finding that person to really understand not only what I do, but my mindset, my, my vibration, uh, my energy, what I am about. And there are times, uh, whether it's in business or, or, or whatever, whatever the situation might be, where there are times where we are offered a glimpse of what's possible. We see that. We see even if it's for a half a, half a millisecond, we see that and we're made aware of it because we're doing the right things because we just might be there. I, it's, it's tough to explain it. It's like you know me trying to explain how chocolate tastes like without having you try the chocolate. But once we have that glimpse, that glimpse of what's possible, the difference between where we are and where we want to be is the execution on what we believe that glimpse can offer and can be. And if we don't take advantage of that small window of opportunity, it's nobody else's fault but our own. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, no, I, I think it does. And it's very well said. And I think it, uh, it's got to be at the heart of what drives you most days when you get up to go and do the work. That's right. Bobby, That's right. If you think back, is uh, I'm sure there have been many, but if you think of one decision that you've made in life that has had now significant impact on your life and on your business. If you think back to, there might be multiple ones, but is there a decision that stands out that you made in your life that has impacted what you do now? I would say, I would, I would say when I, gra when I drove home, when I drove home from Ann Arbor, uh, back to Portage, I packed up my car and I, and I went to mom and dad's house. I unpacked, and then I packed my stuff back in my car. I guess I had to pack twice because I was moving the, I was moving to Lincoln, Nebraska. I had no job prospects. I had no idea what I was doing. I think I maybe had $700, $800 in my bank account. So virtually nothing to make any drastic move. And it was in that moment that... I saw a glimpse of what I could have and it was taking action on that, going against what I believed others wanted for me, what I believed, what, what I knew my parents wanted for me. So going against what others believed, what others wanted for me and going against what my parents wanted for me and jumping into this pool of potential that the universe had laid out. 
I was gone. And I wasn't going to look back until, until I had proven to myself that I was worth it. And it was in, it was that moment. I remember that moment specifically. Um, I was, I, I took my brother's Buick Skylark, packed it up. I had this large TV that wasn't even mine. It was my college buddies. He's just like, yeah, take it. And I packed that car and I drove. And I remember on that drive, that drive was really emotional and powerful for me because that entire time I was talking to myself. I didn't listen to the radio. I wasn't listening to any music. I was talking to myself. And the only thing that I was really saying was anything is possible if you put your mind to it, Abi. Do you remember soccer? And that was the only thing that I was thinking. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It seems to me like you caught at that moment a glimpse of your perfection, and that's driven you ever since. You got it. All right, we'll start to wrap it up. Great stuff there. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, give us the, the brief synopsis. We've touched on your businesses, but give us the quick elevator pitch on your businesses and what you offer your clients. Quick elevator pitch. Um, I'm awesome. So, <laughs> so, no, call that's, that's, <laughs> so, so call me now and I have a $35,000 course for you to buy. You uh, no, absolutely not. Um, I, I'm available for questions and answers. I love talking about business, growing businesses, scaling businesses, investing in real estate. I do it myself, so it's it's a first it's a first hand account. If I can if I can answer your questions, I'd love I'd love to do so. Um, if I can't, I'll find somebody that will, and I'll make sure to connect you. Uh, I love investing in real estate, growing businesses is my thing, and uh, interacting with folks that are doing it in the in the world and that are significantly better than me. Uh, I am I am all ears for a 15, 20 minute conversation to see how we can help each other. Fantastic. All right, books. I know you're into books as much as I am. A book that you would recommend to our listeners? I would say Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Uh, it all starts with the mindset, and it all, and all leads into the possibility with execution. So Think and Grow Rich, by far, read that first. Yeah, that's, that's a common recommendation, one of my favorites as well. So we'll, we'll have a link to that in the show notes page as well. well all right, we'll wrap it up to the last two questions parting piece of advice or thought that comes to mind for you as we wrap this up for our listeners? I would, I would say this. I would say my wish for, for, for your listeners is to be, aware, to be aware of what you're feeling throughout the day. And if you're feeling overly happy or if you're in a position of just complete frightfulness embrace embrace that feeling and know that it is only a temporary feeling because you can go to the grocery store you can buy a Kit Kat bar and you can feel amazing if you want to it is your decision to feel like crap it is your decision to feel amazing choose to feel and be amazing every day because that is completely up to you and nobody else. Yeah, great, great advice. I agree with you completely. And where would you like, Abby, for our listeners to go online to find out more about you and your businesses? 
I would have them check me out at realestatedealtalk.com. That's the best way to get in touch and to see what I have going on. Fantastic. And we'll have links to that as well as where to find the show by the time this episode airs. We'll have updated that. So go to the show notes page for this episode. You'll find all of those links there. Abby, this has been uh, an interesting, enlightening, and wonderful conversation. Thanks for sharing your insights, your stories. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. You're very welcome, and I appreciate the insightful questions. Uh, that's, this has been a first for me, and I've enjoyed every moment of it. Thank you, Henry. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.